Welcome to On Boys, real talk about parenting, teaching, and reaching tomorrow's men. We're your co-hosts, Jennifer L.W. Fink of buildingboys.net and Janet Allison of boysalive.com. Welcome, Katie McPherson. Thanks. Thanks for having me today. We are so happy to have you here. You are the mom of four girls. You are an educational consultant, and some people call you the Katie lady because you do so many things. You work with teachers. You work one-on-one with parents. You are an advocate for boys, and I feel like, yay, our circle here, the three of us, have spent many years. It'd be interesting to see combined how many years we do have of advocacy for boys. But we've brought you here today because we want you to talk about suicide and suicide prevention. We are just going to turn it over to you. I know you live in Arizona and there is an exceedingly high suicide rate there. So what is going on? What's happening with our boys and suicide? And how can we not even get to the edge of the cliff, but how, where do we start when they're young? and to keep the connection to not go down this road? I think everybody is searching for the answer to that, but as you know, it's a lot of moving parts. So currently in the state of Arizona, the leading cause of death for age 10 to 14 is suicide. The leading cause of death for age 15 to 24 is also suicide. Statistically, nationally, we're seeing that boys are completing suicide four to one over girls. For every uh, completion of a suicide, typically there are 25 attempts. So um, when you look at the numbers nationwide, there's a complete spike and escalation in all sorts of self-harm, anxiety, depression, et cetera. So as you know from our training together and individually, it's never just one thing. But if I were to give parents some strategies, they would be really starting young with good nutrition good sleep. And then from a parenting strategy standpoint, not fixing everything for our kids, not overscheduling them and allowing them some choice. I think you both speak on the topic of choice for boys is key. What I have found after being on a junior high and high school campus for the last 24 years is kids have very little choice in their class schedule because parents are dictating that. The academic rigor has ticked up quite a bit in the performance arms race starting in kindergarten. And our foods, our foods have a lot of neurotoxins. We're seeing lower testosterone levels. We're obviously seeing device use impact these brains in many ways. And that also is dictating the sleep. So when we look in Arizona at what's going on with our kids, just in my 20-mile radius, we've lost 32 boys in 20 months. Oh, my God. So um, we're not even, like, in a – like, it's not even – there's no words. Like, I say contagion. I say point cluster. I say crisis. Like, there are no words as a human being for me to explain what our community is going through. Wow. That's 32 families that are missing their sons. Yeah and teachers and friends. And even if you didn't know the kid, you're sitting in your language arts class and the seat next to you is empty. And nobody's really talking to our kids about this. Nobody on a national level and a statewide level, our students need to be hearing about 
social emotional wellness starting in kindergarten and every year after on an ongoing and pervasive basis. So I'm thinking it's kind of like the birth control conversation of, oh, we don't want to talk about it because then they'll do it. Is that what's right. happening out there? We have a lot of parents with great intentions that are like, if I ask him, are you thinking of harming yourself or are you feeling depressed? How are you doing that I'm planting ideas in their heads? And the reality is a, a brain that is ideating about self-harm or suicide has already made a plan, has a way to execute the plan, and it is not a rational brain. And so asking the question is not going to tip the scale to make them do it. It's actually an intervention that's going to make them feel like you're there, that you're sitting in the ditch with them, and that you are going to go get them the resources they need. So not asking the question is not working. And that is absolutely the opposite of what we need to be doing. Yeah. When you commented just now, and you said that is not a rational brain that is having those thoughts that resonated for me because I struggle with depression. I'm much better now. All in all, I'm, I'm pretty well controlled and I work through it. But when your brain is going those places, it's not just a matter of somebody saying, well, look, you have a pretty good life. Your brain is lying to you. Your brain is telling you these things. And so I think that can be difficult for, for parents to understand, for community members who understand, who may look at these boys and be like, I, I, I don't get it. You've got your whole life. Like, what can you possibly be sad about? Mm -hmm. And that's how some people still unfortunately think of this. I think too, there's like this myth that it won't happen to my kid. Yeah. There's also a myth that this generation in general is fragile. Some of them certainly have very low coping and resiliency skills. And I think when you look at the subset of this generation, we're seeing less social confidence, less coping, and less resiliency based on this fear-based parenting that we're doing. So we've scheduled their every move, and we're saying to them, as you said, you're awesome. You're amazing. But as you know, especially if you've ever dealt with an acute life crisis or anxiety or depression, you can't outperform your self-concept. Whatever you're saying to yourself here is what you believe. And so we really need from a therapeutic standpoint, you know, really need to look at what are those replacement thoughts when that rumination loop is going, 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 what is the bi-strategic parenting strategy where one parent is listening and the other is like, okay, bud, I've heard you're upset about this. You know, what can we do about it? Let's strategize. Let's go for a walk. Let's throw a ball. Let's be talking about how do we replace those negative self-talk thoughts and hopefully in tandem, if they're moving down this trajectory of ideation, getting them clinical help and therapeutic help. And I think there's a huge hesitancy from parents that are like, ah, he's just a teenager, he's fine. This is just a phase, he's gonna get over it. And the mothers and fathers that I have sat with that have lost their children in the last two years have said to me, it is so cryptic and so insidious and it does look like just a teenage boy that you have to be watching nonverbals, you have to be watching sleep patterns, you have to be watching how long is he on a device, you have to be watching girl-boy relationships and after a breakup. Most of these kids that have taken their lives have had a significant acute life crisis happen. When I say acute life crisis, those are things as simple for us 
with a mature brain as a breakup, failing a test, not getting chosen for the team, not making varsity baseball, making JV. And in our, in our minds, we're like, come on, you know, what's going on with these kids? But the reality is some of these children have never failed. And so when they have a failure, it is epic and it is totally tied to the social networking that they do with each other. It's not just in person that you failed. Now everybody knows about it because it's all over Twitter or Snapchat, et cetera. Given what you're saying, it sounds like parents really should be on alert after one of these life events. So after your child has experienced a disappointment or a setback, what kinds of things should we be watching for and what kinds of things can we be doing to build support while also helping the child build their own coping skills and resiliency skills at that point? So what you're talking about is post-pension. So ideally, in an ideal world, we have been talking to them since third grade on a prevention front, like, hey, bud, when you didn't get the award for that, you know, these are some things that you can think about doing next time. You're not there yet. So the growth mindset of you're not there yet, it's a not there yet skill. If you're hearing that as a third grader, as a fifth grader, as a seventh grader, and you have one of these sort of life crises, so to speak, in 10th grade, you've already built that muscle of coping and resilience and scripted that for years and years and years. If you're talking about a 10th grader having that and then what to do after, that's what we call postvention. So that's where we're missing the mark is a student completes a suicide. Friendship group is reeling and messy and just not sure how to triage this. School administration is afraid to touch it. Parents are afraid to touch it. And we're just all like frozen. We are not acting. We are frozen in fear the worst thing we can do. And so if your child has a typical life disappointment, the things that I would be looking for are sleep patterns, eating patterns, drastic changes in behavior, hygiene that goes down, not caring what they look like. I think one of the things I've learned from these parents that have lost a child is what they thought was anger was actually depression manifesting itself as anger. So for girls, they go to the limbic brain and it's very verbally motive, the tears and, ah, you know, for boys, they don't say anything. They literally, as you both know, just close up and it is very difficult to talk to them about the disappointment or about the breakup. So again, I kind of go back to those Gurian strategies we all learned of moving the body, the walks, the car rides, the shoulder to shoulder where you're not looking at them, but really just keeping those conversations going. I think it's really easy for me to say, talk to your teenage son. Um, most teenage sons are allergic to questions. <laughs> so we have to ask in the way that you know your child's wired, but just be so vigilant because truly, I can't tell you, I can't even put into words what I've watched go down. The first thing I do when we've had a loss in the community is go straight to the child's Instagram or Twitter account. And it is all there. Red flag, red flag, red flag. And it's mm -hmm. post after post after post sprinkled with like really typical boy stuff, memes, explicit stuff, funny stuff. But there are very cryptic messages that they are trying to send the world 
but because parents aren't following them on social media, aren't looking at social media, they're missing all of the signs. Like everything you want to know about your child is on their video game platform or on their device. And so parents have to, you have to be checking. You have to have a central charging station where you're doing random phone checks. Everything you want to know about how he's doing is being housed on those devices. What about talking to our boys about how they can respond if they see a friend posting those kinds of things? You know, our kids are all in contact with each other, and I'm fairly sure most of us aren't doing a great job of preparing our children for what to look out for and how to respond because we don't know what we're doing. Right. Yeah, we're digital immigrants raising digital natives, so it's difficult. But so one thing that I've learned from one of the moms, her name is Leanne Hall, her tagline for her foundation, Andy Sunshine Foundation, is put the friend before the friendship. And I think kids need to know the difference between telling on someone and reporting. And just in my personal opinion, our reporting mechanisms at the school level do not align with teen brain. If I am a junior boy and I see somebody struggling, I am not going to go to the guidance counselor. I am not going to go to the principal and tell on my friend. And I've spoken to these boys who have lost a friend who saw the messages, who thought it was a joke or didn't know what to do about it. Most kids will say, I saw it going down, but I didn't know how serious it was. I didn't think he was serious, but I didn't tell an adult because I didn't want my phone to be taken away. I didn't want my mom to say, you can't be friends with that kid. And I will tell you, the children, at least in my community, that we are losing are high-achieving people with thousands of friends, two-parent homes that are deeply engaged in their children's life, athletics, you name it. The kids that we are losing are deeply engaged in their communities. And so they're not the bad kids, you know, that maybe if I said to my mom as a son, I'm really worried about Aiden. He's like saying stuff like really dark, dark stuff. The kids are so tied to their device as a connection to each other that if you yank my phone because I just reported a safety issue to you, I'm not willing to do that. And so they don't report. And so they're staring at us as trusted adults and they're like, you don't even get me. You have no idea what I'm seeing and what I'm going through. And so this also relates to school safety and boys in that most of our school shooters have been suicidal and then gone homicidal and the fluidity between that is very quick. And so you will see that school shooters are suicidal posting for help prior to coming to a school and harming others. And so this isn't just about like having a courageous conversation with your kid. It is that our children are absorbing a lot of negative, negative energy and they are seeing these messages and not sure what to do. So for me, putting the friend before the friendship and getting to someone, could be a coach, could be a principal, could be an older sibling, could be an aunt, Whoever you trust that isn't going to sell you out, go to that person and have them intervene on your behalf. So what are some of the messages? What are the red flags that we can share with our listeners? That is the hardest part. So I'm just going to share with you and be so bold. One of the children that took his life in our community, his last message was, see on the flip side. 
Now that doesn't say I'm going to kill myself. That doesn't say I'm going to harm myself. That doesn't say I'm suicidal. Another child said, I just want my life three months ago back, mm -hmm. gone the next day. So it is extremely difficult for children and adults to pick up on these messages. Now girls, there's no mystery there. They, they post it all like, I'm going to do this to myself. And girls converge on each other. They get the moms involved, the school involved. Everybody's great. Boys, literally, the national statistic is 15 minutes to two weeks from the time that they feel like I'm going to do this is the time frame where they complete. And so the messages, it's not so much what the message says. It's the frequency of the posts that are self-deprecating and negative and have some sort of very raw edge to them, especially following and some sort of breakup or a lot of kids, I'll be honest with you, are smoking pot and they got busted by the school police officer, they got arrested and they are freaking out. And then here come parents, give me your car keys, give me your phone and we totally isolate these boys and they have nowhere to go. And when that brain starts ruminating, it is very low on impulse control. And if there is an opportunity for them to take a weapon or use a belt to do something harmful, some of them are going to do that. I have never sat here and wiped tears away all through an episode. I mean, this is, this is devastating because it's happening and because I can see all too easily how it happens. And what you were saying about boys who may see things and may be concerned, but be afraid to say something because they're afraid we're going to take their phone away because we don't understand necessarily their relationship to their phone and how they use that to um, connect and support friendships. Damn. I mean, untangling all of that and figuring out how we can create healthier relationships with our, our sons, our children, that they know they can come to us, that we can be allies and helpers instead of adversaries. It really truly is about that. I mean, one of the moms I interviewed last week said, I was so entrenched in the dance of taking his phone when he was a jerk to me, that I never looked in the phone to see why it was so important. And after he died, going through the phone and seeing his Finsta account and his Twitter account where he was calling himself a piece of crap. If I had only looked in the phone and instead of doing the dance with, give me your phone, you're being a jerk. Okay. You can have it back. I'm tired. Maybe I could have intervened. And that's coming from a registered nurse who is trained to see some of these warning signs. And so it can happen to any family. It can happen to anyone what I know to be true is these kids 24-7 are seeing these messages. These kids are living the baseline that they talk to each other at, as you probably know, is very negative, very raw, very edgy. The edgier you are online, the more cool you are. So that's where the kids are having a hard time is like, it's very normal for kids to be like, I think you should just go kill yourself, like as a joke, right? So boys, especially, as you know, when they see this stuff, they're like, oh, he's just being dumb. But they're not seeing on the scrolling that they're doing, they're not seeing boom, 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 that all week long, he's been saying negative stuff. And what I do in my presentations is I show 
some of these boys that have passed away, I have permission to show their last tweets. And I show them as a screenshot. And you can see funny video, explicit meme, cry for help. Funny video, retweet, cry for help. So as an adult, looking back, cumulatively, there's, it's all there. The language has meaning. They are telling the story of their intolerable pain. And adults are not listening. We're not listening at all. You know, it can be so hard for any of us to get that big picture because uh, due to the nature of social media, even if you follow somebody on Instagram, on Twitter, you don't see everything they post necessarily because right. the al yeah. algorithm feeds you different, different mm -hmm. things. So you might, no one person might have the complete picture. It's overwhelming to think about. I, I, it really I, is. I think one of my biggest takeaways that I'm getting so far is to really pay close attention and make it a point to try and look for that bigger picture, particularly at these acute moments. And maybe it would be very helpful to have some conversations with our boys about these things. You know, not let's sit down and talk about how to prevent suicide among your friends because that won't go, but you know, while driving in the car, when you hear a news story and you know, hey, this is what I learned today and share, maybe be on alert for some of this. If a friend has experienced a disappointment, I'm at a loss here. I know, it's a huge topic. And I think what I am so flabbergasted by and I say this with all the grace in the world, is that adults are, some adults are doing random phone checks and they're seeing things happen within the friendship group, but they're not okay calling another parent and saying, hmm, I saw something funky, you might wanna look into it. And the reality is, if we're gonna really step into 2019 and beyond, from even just a school safety standpoint, we have to be good villagers. And part of being a good villager is I can call Jen and be like, hey, Jen, Aiden posted something. I'm really worried. I'm not sure what it's about. You might want to check it out. And for you to be the receiving mom saying, oh, my gosh, Katie, thanks so much. Bye-bye. And it's not a judgment on your parenting, but we are in this together. Yeah. I drive your kid to club soccer. He's my kid. Her kid eats Oreos out of my pantry at a sleepover. He's my kid. Like, we are all in this together. We've got to disarm this parenting game and really realize that we can mitigate so much of the pain and the negative stuff that our kids are absorbing. What do you say to the moms of younger children, seven-year-olds, 10-year-olds who come home and say, I hate school, I want to kill myself, or this is so dumb and I'm so stupid and I'm just going to kill myself? Again, we think, oh, they don't really mean that. You have to ask the question. We have had two 10-year-olds take a gun and complete suicide in my community in a very short amount of time. So it's happening. If you have given access to YouTube, they know how to tie a noose. They know how to self-harm. They know how to harm themselves. So this kind of joking around about suicide is very normal unfortunately very typical in the world that we're living in. They have seen a lot of celebrities die by suicide very recently. Even if you think you're shielding them, kids on the playground are talking about it. So to ask the question, there are a couple of questions that we call a threat assessment at the school level. How long have you been feeling this way? Have you told your parents? Do you have a plan? And do you have a way to carry out the plan? If any of those answers are 
truly just blaring that we have a plan and we have a way to carry out the plan, you have to take your child immediately for a full evaluation with a professional. I mean, it is, I can't tell you the fluidity of how quickly, especially for our boys, that that moves. So where do you take them? What do you do? So in our area, um, there are only select hospitals that have adolescent units. So I would not go to like a, an urgent care or local ER that does not have an adolescent unit. You have to go to a hospital that has an adolescent unit. If your child has already has a plan and a way to carry that out, you can also call your local police department, has a mobile crisis team that can come out that has a clinical social worker present. So although they're police, they're also trained as clinical social workers to triage a crisis. So all major cities have that. We in Arizona have a statewide hotline for our kids that's staffed 24-7. They can text or call a teen lifeline number. They can talk to a fellow teen with a clinician next to them. So most states have resources like that that have mobile crisis teams. What's happening is people are not acting soon enough. We have a host of kids that are doing really well. We have a host of kids in distress. We have a lot of kids moving from well-being into distress, which we actually want them to have a little bit of stress. But we have these kids, as you're saying, that are in distress, moving into crisis, and parents are dismissing it. They're like, he'll be fine. He's just a boy. He's fine. And what we know to be true about the neurobiome makeup of these current students is they don't have the coping and resiliency skills. They really mean, I'm going to hurt myself. And so you can't take a chance on it. You have to go get them help. You know, as a parent, one of the most difficult things is always figuring out, do I react now or do I wait this out? It's a challenge when you're trying to figure out, do I take my kid to the doctor or do we just keep giving them ibuprofen? Do we go to the urgent care? Do we go to the ER? And it's so difficult, but based on everything you're saying, it really sounds like this is a case of it is far better to act and you know what? Maybe the kid wasn't honestly suicidal. So be it. You still have an alive kid at the end. If the kid was suicidal, you may be saving a life, a family, a community. Truly. I, I think for me, when I give advisement about, you know, my kids acting like this, I just did this the other night. Um, pediatrician is the first stop. Blood work is the second stop. Then you get that information back. There's a depression screener from the American Academy of Pediatrics that they're now all doing. You get that data. You stack up your data and you start to make decisions based on the desired outcome, which is a healthy kid. So I always, always defer to medical and behavioral health professionals. And if your mom or dad radar is going off, there's something wrong. Don't dismiss your mom and dad radar. That's where we go wrong, especially as moms. We're like, he's fine. He'll be fine. And sometimes dads too, like, fuck it up, dude. You're fine. But the reality is this is truly brain science. This is truly a neurobio response to stress and or trauma, depending on where the kid's been and how childhood has been so far. But we do have younger and younger students exhibiting these types of symptoms and I would also point out puberty, the median age of puberty is nine. So the reason why we're seeing 10-year-olds struggle 
with anxiety and depression is the hormones are starting to rage in third and fourth grade. So by sixth grade, if we haven't taken care of some of those things that that just typically presents, you're going to, it's, it's hard. It's hard work. So I'd rather catch them in the prevention phase and not have to do the intervention. And I definitely don't want to triage a suicide and try to tape a family or a community back together. The tentacles, of, I can't even describe to you the tentacles of, of how that affects the entire community. Do you have some resources that you could recommend for families if they want to dig a little bit deeper and get some more information about prevention and what to do, where can we point them? My best resource, I would start with, okay, what are my local resources? If my child started to struggle, not he's struggling, like you want to get ahead of this, right? So if my child started to struggle, who are the best therapists in my area? Where is the mobile crisis team? What's the phone number? Screenshot it, put it in your phone, put it in your favorites. Um, I would also point to the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. So AF as in Frank, S as in Sam, P.org. Every state has their own chapter. I would be looking for resources as well. I love Dr. Robin Silverman, How to yeah. Talk to Your Kid About Anything. She's got all sorts of tutorials on how to talk about drugs and alcohol, how to talk about suicide, how to talk about self-harm. So those are state and local resources. And then I would lastly really think about talking to your students starting in third, fourth, fifth grade. If you saw a kid struggling, who could you go to? Who are three trusted adults that you could go to that could actually do something about it? Sometimes kids will tell me like, well, I did report it and the adults at the school didn't do anything. If you feel like the adult follow through has slipped, try again. Man. I know. It's so heavy. I know. I just brought your whole day to a screeching halt. But the good news is the stigma of mental health and wellness is lowering. There are people activating in small communities like mine who aren't willing to stop the fight. And for me, it's really about rallying at the state level for ongoing pervasive education. This one-and-done assembly, not going to work. Administrators, if you're afraid to say the word suicide, you should leave your job. You are being negligent by not offering support and resources and courageous conversations. Now, here's an idea just as we close out. I have started doing parent nights where I veil it as a night about the hidden impact of social media, gaming, and screen time on the developing brain. A lot of these boys are gravitating towards gaming and porn and social media to escape from the intolerable pain that they're in. So the only way that I have been able to get people to come to a parent night is literally by going to the pain point. What's everybody worried about? Screen time. What's everybody worried about? Video games. So I get them there, and then at the end of my presentation, I do a whole chunk on what we're talking about because it is all related. It's all tied together. It is a mental health and wellness issue, and statistically, it is not just like, oh, Arizona is having a hard time. It is a nationwide public health crisis. Katie, I am so glad you are out there doing what you're doing. 
And I really appreciate you sharing your knowledge and your insight with us and with our listeners. I think this message is going to resonate and I think it will continue to grow and spread. And that's what we need if we are going to save our boys. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me today. Boys and anger is a topic we are hearing lots about. We want you to know you are not alone. You can go to boysalive.com backslash anger and receive a free audio download to help you understand the complexities of your son's anger. Also includes tips and strategies for how you can help him cope with this big emotion. We are Jennifer L.W. Fink and Janet Allison, and we are here to support you in parenting and teaching tomorrow's men.